0: for an hour and a half on a Sunday morning. Church is us in the world, wherever we are. And we just need to be reminded of that because when the, when the Sunday gatherings get taken off us, sometimes we think, oh, church just stopped. No, church hasn't stopped. You're still there. You're still around. God is still with you and for you and you still have full access to him. So so don't ever think that, oh, oh no, we take a, we're taking a holiday from God because of the pandemic. No, no, this is a time when we press in. And... Uh, I don't know know if you've been challenged in this series about full access, but I definitely have been. And I've been listening to some podcasts around um, some things and and just it's been challenging my my approach to God. Because I think we perhaps know in our heads we have full access to God, but in everyday lives we're not fully accessing Him. And there's a disconnect, right, between, okay, yeah, all of heaven is open to me. He's backing me. Why am I not accessing this? Why am I not seeing this in my world and there's this this tension and uh i think I think what it, what it, one of the key things that has happened in the west and i i I'll call it the coronavirus of the soul uh the key one of the key things that is keeping us from from connecting with the f- the full access that we have is this thing called distraction It's like the disease of the west where yet distracted specifically I'd say for a lot of us it's electronic Um, and go even more specific it's our phones (laughs) Um, now not all of us have this you know issue with phones some some of us it's just electronic stuff could be your Netflix uh, could be Disney plus light box could be your tablet could be just TV could be radio (laughs) I don't know it could be anything but it could it could be something non-electronic as well it could be, you know, books or following your favorite sport or your favorite sports team or, um, uh, yeah, so, well, that's what I mean, cycling. It could be, it could be a hobby or an obsession, um, but I'm not calling it that. Thank you, Ben. It's, it's just a hobby. It could be anything if you put it above God. You know, it could be a It could be a pet. It could be, it could be, it could be your your music. You love mu or food. It could be, I, I don't know. You could name some. Work is a big thing. It could be any of those things. But if you put it ahead of God in your life, it becomes well, it becomes more than a distraction. It it becomes master over you. And um, the thing, that, the thing with how the enemy works in our lives is that uh, if he can't draw us away with something bad, then he'll distract us away with something good. If he can't draw us away with something bad, he'll distract us away with something good. Because all those things I listed, including cycling, which I didn't list, are good things. <laughs> those are good things in your world, in your life. But when they when they sit on the throne, then they become our master. And there's only one master that we're to have, and that's God. And so how do you, how, you know, how much is, how distracted is too distracted? Because, you know, surely it's okay to have a little bit of distraction now and then, you know, just to take your mind off things. Those aren't questions I can answer for you from here. There's not a formula. There's not a like a, this number of hours or, day or, or whatever. That's something you've got to work out between you and God. But might I suggest that you and I are actually more distracted than we realize? We're actually more distracted today than we've ever been, I think, as humankind, than we've ever been ever since the beginning of humanity. Um, Studies have been done, I, I did a, you know, not a Google search, a Google Scholar search, so you get actual articles about this stuff, and the overuse of technology has been linked to mental health problems such as depression, anxiety, social difficulties, increased anxious dependence in relationships, Poorer self-regulation abilities, lower degree of mindfulness, like just being present in the moment. Um, and this is a mouthful, susceptibility to the unconscious automaticity of mobile phone checking. Basically, you're checking your phone every two minutes and you don't even realize that you're checking your phone all the time. Yeah. Some of you some of you will do it during my sermon. <laughs> um You know, and you're not even realizing that, the perception of of social norms to need to answer calls or texts, actually you don't have to answer that call. You don't have to respond to that Facebook message straight away. But actually we become, this is the norm, I just have to do this because it's urgent, it's immediate, it's in front of me. And it's not just affecting us, it's affecting our kids. A 2017, 2017 article in the Child Development Journal found that Technoference, that's technology-based interruptions in parent-child interactions. Basically, looking at your phone when your child's trying to get your attention. That uh, has been associated with child behavior problems. So our distraction is not just negatively affecting us. It's negatively affecting our relationships, our key relationships, and it's negatively affecting our relationship with God. Can I get an amen, or are you still feeling feeling too convicted (laughs) at the moment? Because I am. I'm preaching to myself here as well. Uh, And you might go, well, what's this got to do with Dream Sunday? Well, it's got everything to do with Dream Sunday. Because the thing is, if the enemy can distract you enough, you will never achieve the dreams that God has for your life. See, God has the life that he wants for you. God does. Not tech companies. (laughs) Tech companies have a plan for your life too. It's to have your eyeballs glued to their phones. It's true because you are, you are the product. You, if they can keep you there, then they are selling things, they're putting ads up, and they are getting revenue. That is their plan. It's not evil or bad. It's just marketing. It's just what they do, right? And so we could, we're going to get smart to this and go, actually, God's best for me means I need to get some of these, rid of some of these distractions in my life. If I'm going to dream big in God, if I'm going to achieve all that he's got for me, I need to remove some of these distractions. Because we have full access, but we're not fully accessing it because we're too distracted to access it. It's hard to meet with Jesus when we live distracted. It's like, oh, cool, hang on, with Jesus. Oh, oh, I got a message. Oh, hang on, with Jesus. Oh. Oh, Facebook, oh, Oh, hang on with Jesus, oh, this thing on Netflix, oh, hang on with Jesus, oh, listen to something on Spotify, oh, you know, and we just never actually be with him. Now, I love the Bible because it relates to us in everyday life, but it's hard in a technology-heavy day to to, to kind of find um, analogous material in the Bible. Like, Jesus didn't have an iPhone. Um, He didn't even have a dumb phone. He didn't have any sort of landline. There was nothing like that. He lived in a, in a slower, more present, dare I say, more social time. Not social media time. Actually social time, like talking to people face to face. So distractions were different. Dare I say, they were, they were a lot less. However, they were still present. They weren't not there at all. And today, I, I want to delve into a, a story that I think can teach us how to engage with Jesus a little better. And I'm hoping that it will inform us a bit. So I'm going to read it to you, and uh, then we're going to break it down. Um, So it's found in Luke 19, starting in verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him. Since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him. Glad he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord. Here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. Because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. So we've got this man, Zacchaeus. He's a chief tax collector. Older versions, if you read it, will say chief publican. It's not the owner of a pub. Uh, a publican back in that day was actually a tax collector, <laughs> um, and and he was either like he rose through the ranks as a as a tax collector, or he was just a wealthy businessman who was placed over a bunch of tax collectors. We don't know, but either way, he was disliked because he took money from his own people. He was Jewish. He took money from his own people, and his his name meant pure, <laughs> but he took money and gave it to himself, and to Rome. Because he was he was working for a foreign conquering nation. Rome had conquered Israel. And so Zacchaeus was working for the empire. And as we know from Star Wars, the empire is bad, right? Okay. Jesus and his disciples, now the rebel alliance, and uh, the empire is bad. And Zacchaeus, he's getting rich off the back of his fellow Jews. So there's no doubt that he was... An unpopular guy in this place, and the writer makes actually he makes special note to say, and he was wealthy, so he was. That's another reason that the people probably didn't like him very much. But it's interesting because he's a wealthy man, and this story comes very shortly after Jesus says that famous thing where he says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a wealthy man to enter the kingdom of God. So here he is. This this actually proves that with God, which is what Jesus says afterwards, with, with man, these things aren't possible, but with God, all things are possible. Actually, this is a wealthy man who can enter the kingdom of God, uh, which is pretty cool. So we've got this wealthy man, Zacchaeus. Uh, let's, let's work our way back through. In verse 3, it says, He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So Zacchaeus was short. The Greek word there is mikros, which is where we get our word Micro from um, some disability theologians, such as Mayor Whitaker, uh, might argue that he had achondroplasia, um, so like dwarfism. Um, so he was that that short, but he was definitely very small. He was also probably old, uh, given that he was the chief of tax collectors and very rich. You know, this this degree of rank and uh, accumulation of wealth would take time. So he's probably an older short, despised, rich man who's possibly disabled as well. Not your typical hero, right? Not, not your knight in shining armor, really. Which is fine, because actually in every biblical story, God is the hero. And actually in your story, you're not the hero of your story, God is. Just, just go and write that down and think about that. <laughs> uh, Because are you making God the hero of your story or are you trying to be the hero in your story? So we've got Zacchaeus, this short, elderly, rich, despised man. In verse four it says, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him. It says, Jesus was coming that way. And this is really, this comes to the crux of what I think we need and, and, and I wanna impart to you this morning is just that, we need to be passionate about Jesus. We need to be, our lives need to be arrested by Jesus. We need to be captivated by him. Zacchaeus was captivated by Jesus. He heard he was coming and he realized he couldn't see him. Like there's a big crowd and he's really short. So he he does, he does something which is very undignified for an elderly rich tax collector. He hitches up his long flowing robes and he runs. You don't, men in the, in the Middle East, in those times especially, they don't run. It's very undignified. You don't do it. So for him to do that is, is basically, he's throwing out all pride out the window because he's so captivated. And, 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 then he, and then he climbs a tree, which that's what kids do. Like that's not what, Wealthy businessmen do right that in, in our day and back then. That's that's not what you do. But Zacchaeus Z- Z- didn't care, he was captivated by Jesus, he had to see Jesus no matter what. And I think actually, the times that we are changed are, are when we go, Right, I, Jesus, I just need you, I just am going to do whatever it takes to be in your presence, whatever it costs me. I'm going to get there. See, Zacchaeus, he had to get in a time. You were uncomfortable in order to meet Jesus. Like when was the last time you actually went out of your comfort zone to meet with Jesus? Possibly, and we're going to do a thing later on. We're going to anoint people with oil. Possibly coming down the front and being anointed with oil is you stepping out of your comfort zone. I'll tell you what, you're in a room full of people who are for you and for Jesus. So it shouldn't make you feel uncomfortable. But there's something in us that is our pride that rises up. I'll call it what it is. It's normally our pride which keeps us from the throne of God. And and James 4, 6 is a scary verse. It says, um, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble or shows favor to the humble. And I think, actually, we just need to, like Zacchaeus, Drop our pretense, drop our position, drop our pride and just run so we can be with Jesus. Do what it takes, get in an uncomfortable position, climb a tree, whatever it is, to be with Jesus. He just didn't care, Zacchaeus. He just didn't care. Yeah. And he gets the grace and favor of Jesus. Because, I think, for that very reason. Because he he just laid it all down just to be with him, just to see him. We need to place ourselves in situations where we can meet Jesus. And can I suggest that usually those situations cost us something. They cost us something. It actually didn't maybe cost you heaps, but it cost you something to get out of bed, keep your nice clothes on and get here for church this morning. It cost you something. It didn't cost you a lot. And what I would what I, what I challenge you is, maybe, maybe we need to actually, it needs to cost us a little bit more. I think that's something that in the West we miss. Like the underground church in China, where they have to whisper their songs of praise because they don't want to be heard, because they don't want to be caught. There's something in that space where it costs them something. There's a risk, and because of that, their faith is probably stronger than ours. But we just have it. Now, I'm not suggesting we need a you know autocratic regime to come in and make it really hard for us to be the church. But I think sometimes we just take that for granted. And we actually just need to, to do some things. So what what is it? What is it that you could do is actually gonna cost you something? What I suggest, as Sam said, Getting to, to equip her or to shout for a shout conference, that's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you leave off your work. It's going to cost you money. It's going to cost you time. But getting in that space is going to change something in your world. Maybe it's just carving out some time every day, 20, 30 minutes just to sit and be with Jesus. It's going to cost you something. Not a lot, but it's going to cost you something. Maybe it's sleep. Maybe it's getting up 20 minutes earlier in the morning to spend some time with Christ. I don't know, but the the thing is that Jesus responds to our response to him. Jesus responds to our response to him. Jesus responds, and we'll see in a moment, how he responds to Zacchaeus. Because Zacchaeus sought after him, Jesus responded to that. So we need to put aside our distractions and seek after him. I love how Hebrews 12, 1 puts it. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, let us run with perseverance. The race marked out for us. There's a distinction there between sin that so easily entangles and just the things that hinder. I I think often we get caught up with, oh, I've got to be careful not to do any sin. When there's all these things that are hindering us, like our phone, and the distractions of the world. And we forget about those things, and we fixate on, oh, well, I've just got to not, you know, sin. When actually, there's a whole lot of distractions that are hindering you. You've got to throw off those distractions, and run to a tree, and climb it, and get, it, and get in that space with Jesus. And I think, you know, I've talked a little bit in the last month or so about the rule of life, this idea of a trellis, these things that we put in place, like a trellis holds up the vine so that it's off the ground, it can produce fruit, it's free of the disease and stuff on the ground. And a trellis or a rule of life is just the things we put in place, the kind of patterns of behavior, the habits that we form, that either well either allow us or or prevent us because we've all got habits <laughs> but but specific habits that we put in place that that allow us to connect to the vine, the vine being Jesus and us being the branches, and when we are connected, we produce fruit and I actually think we need to kind of develop an electronic rule of life, just put in some place some things okay well maybe you know i don't I don't take my phone to bed, you just go back to the old Alarm clock. You've still got it, or if you don't, because you spend $1,000 on your iPhone, so you can spend six bucks on an electronic alarm clock. So we get that, because if we think about it, do you want the first thing that you read in the morning to set the tone of your day to be your news feed? Really? And do you want the last thing you read at night to be something from social media that's going to form your dreams and how you sleep? No. Now you want God just before you go to bed. And you want God first thing in the morning. Now, maybe you're, you've got the self-control. You can just look at your phone and just look at um, Olive Tree Bible Reader or whatever app you have um, to read. And that's okay. And that, that's cool. But I think we need to be smart about this because we're just we're, we're sowing just in first thing in the morning to, to being distracted. To being distracted. I've I've heard some people uh, that they call it one 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 so for one hour a day, one uh, day a month, and one week a year, they go completely offline, no phone, no they can't be connect, you know. Uh, that, that's that's pretty hard out, but that would be how many of you think actually having a week without my phone would actually be amazing. <laughs> Well, there's no one stopping you <laughs> from doing these things. The only person stopping you is you. You have, you know, most of us have annual leave in the year. In that annual leave time, you can have a week without your phone. And you can just, you know, maybe have it, just set it. You can get emergency calls, and that's it. But we, I think we actually need to develop a, a rule of life around our, our um, electronic devices. Because distractions numb us. So the beauty of Jesus. You see, for Zacchaeus, obviously he didn't have a phone. That wasn't a distraction. But there was something in him that was just, oh, I need Jesus. He tried the things of the world. He was very wealthy. He had been around a while. He, he had all the trappings and yet he realized his need for Jesus and he just got hungry. He just got hungry. And I think we're just not hungry enough for Jesus And I think our phones and other things in our world, because maybe it's not your phone, maybe it's something else are distracting us from. Let's read on. In verse five, when Jesus reached this spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. So Jesus looks up and he knows Zacchaeus. But not only that, he knows the state of his heart. And he calls Zacchaeus by name, just like he calls you by name. He's saying right now, Neil, I want to meet with you. Kathy, I want to meet with you. Aaron, I want to meet with you. Diane, I want to meet Every one of you, he wants to meet with you. He calls you by name and he wants to meet with you. I love how it doesn't matter where we come from, what background we have, who we are, Jesus wants to meet with us. One, um... Commentator put it like like this. He, He does not disdain the mansions of the rich any more than he does the dwelling places of the poor, provided there be a humble heart. And he did not suppose there was less need of his presence in order to save in the house of the rich man than among the poor. Actually, often it's the rich man or woman who needs to be saved more because they're too caught up in their world. So Jesus responds to Zacchaeus' urgency with his own. He says, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. There's an urgency in what Jesus is saying, right? It's like, you, I want you now. <laughs> and I love Zacchaeus' response because when all the attention is drawn to him, right? And here's this little little man up in a tree and all the crowd is going, you know, just imagine you're all looking at it. And, and he's not ashamed. He's not like embarrassed. He's he, he When he's singled out, there's no hint of shame or embarrassment. He just comes down and it says he welcomes him gladly. He's like, responds with open arms. Yes, Jesus wants to be with me. That's his response. When we do an order call on Sunday, when someone offers to pray for you, when something, where God wants to break into your world, is your response, oh, what will people think? Or is it like, no, Jesus, I welcome you gladly. I want you I need more of you. Because this is a picture of us welcoming Jesus into our lives, right? First of all, when we you know, give our hearts to Him, but actually every time, because I think actually our lives are just a continual opening up to Jesus, a continual coming back to Him and asking Him to come in and change us. It's an ongoing response. And then we read in verse seven, all the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. So the people around him, they see this hateful little rich man, and they are jealous. And there's a lot of them, because remember, there's a big crowd he couldn't see because of the big crowd. And they're all resentful, resentful of the special favor that Jesus has given to Zacchaeus. People will actually be resentful of the grace of God on your life. Now, that's going to happen. People will see it and they go, "Why, why have you got this? Why are you happy? <laughs> you shouldn't be. You shouldn't have this joy. What, what, what's and what? How come you have been shown this this favor? People will resent your success. They will, they will actually seek to undermine your dream. And we have to be careful who we share our, our dreams with. For that very reason, the irony here, of course, is that. <laughs> These people who are saying he's gone to be, uh, he's gone to have dinner with a sinner, are all sinners themselves, right? <laughs> like, yeah, they failed to to realize this, that, that actually we are also all sinners. And the people who seek to tear you down are just dealing with their own broken humanity. They're just dealing with their own problems In their own world. And they're speaking that out of a hurt or selfishness or insecurity in their own lives. Right? So we actually need to show them grace. And if you stop and think about it, are they actually grumbling against Zacchaeus? No. They're grumbling against Jesus. They're actually grumbling against the man in the moment who they want to see. Against his unmerited favor towards Zacchaeus. And that's sometimes a helpful distinction to make for us, is that actually when people are grumbling against us, it's, it's not us they're grumbling against. It's God. It's the favor of God, the blessing of Jesus in our world. And ultimately, they have an issue with the grace of God, which is easy to have. It reminds me of the story of Jesus with the farm workers, um, or he tells a story of, a, of, a, of an owner, an owner um, a landowner, and he employs a bunch of people. Um, and at the start of the day he says to some I'm going to give you $100 if you do this this job and um, they go oh, sweet okay and they go off and start working and then midday he hires a bunch more people and they go off and do the job and then at, like an hour to go at the end of the day he hires another bunch of people and they go off and join them and then at the end of the day they gather them all together and the landowner he, he gets those who've just been working for an hour first and, he, and they come to him and he gives them $100 and the ones who started are like sweet if they're getting 100 bucks. what are we getting? That's awesome. And then he gives those who started midday $100 as well. And they're like, well, how's this work? And then those who started at the very start of the day, he gives $100 as well. And then they're like, hey, this isn't fair, Jesus. Why are you giving, you know, they've only worked an hour, and you're giving them $100. And, and the farm owner, who obviously represents God in this moment, says, can't I be generous with what I have? I'm giving you what I said I would give you. I said I'd pay you 100 and I'm giving you 100 But I, I can be free with what I have. The grace that I have, I can give to whomever I like, however much I like. And it's the same amount. Like For all of those, we all have the same amount of grace given to us by God. It's just that some of us deserve it a little bit more than others. <laughs> And it's not our place to decide who deserves it and who doesn't. Because ultimately, none of us deserve it. And yet sometimes we're like, what? That's not fair. That sinner, that, that money launderer, that pedophile, that whatever, they can receive the grace of God, that's not fair. That's how the grace of God works. It's not fair. And so the crowd is... The crowd is against Jesus for the grace that he's showing. Let us never be found in the crowd. Let us never be found in that place of, oh, they don't deserve that because none of us do. So Jesus pours out his grace by choosing to dwell with Zacchaeus. It's not just that he talks to him. He actually wants to come and dwell and eat a meal with him, which in those days is a big deal. He's showing him huge amounts of favor that he doesn't deserve. And then in verse 8, After, you know, this grumbling. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. I love it. There's such a turning around in Zacchaeus' life. The mere presence of Jesus, the grace that he's been shown, just overflows in him giving away half of all he has and offering to pay back fourfold, which is actually referring to an Old Testament passage that if someone nicks your sheep, you have to give them four back. Um, That that he's just paying it all back out of response from his heart. Jesus changes radically the trajectory of Zacchaeus' life. He went into it with greed and selfishness and he came out just with generosity and selflessness. From corruption to honesty, it just flips the story. And that's what an encounter with Jesus will do, right? It just changes us completely. Reorientates us on the inside, and then on the outside, the behavior changes. It's not that Zacchaeus was saved because of his behavior. His behavior is proof of his salvation. So we don't get saved. We don't earn God's salvation by being generous and doing good things. No, that's, that's proof that something has changed on the inside, that we've had an encounter with Jesus. And that's what I want us to, to grasp this morning as we talk about Dream Sunday, is actually we need to have a fresh encounter with God to reorient His dream for our lives. Because Zacchaeus actually doesn't change jobs. It doesn't say, oh, and then he stopped being a tax collector or chief of tax collector. He actually, we assume he, he goes on, Doing that role, it's just that how he does that role is changed completely. And I suggest that perhaps in this moment, God doesn't necessarily want to change your career or the, the trajectory of your life. Maybe he does, but the way you do it needs to be continually being changed and reoriented to how Jesus wants us to do it. He had a change of heart, and that's what God wants to keep doing to us. And then it says in, in verse 9, Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Can I invite the band back up? So today salvation has come to this house. Not because he gave away, you know, half, but because he chose to chase after Jesus. He sought after Jesus. It's interesting that Jesus says that this man too is a son of Abraham. Like, Why too? He's a son of Abraham by birth. But I think it means that because he's acted in faith, he's now truly a son of Abraham. Because you're not actually a son of Abraham by lineage, you're a son by faith. And I'd suggest to us that sometimes we sit back and we think, oh yeah, I've said yes to Jesus. But it's an ongoing step of faith that we take that we realign ourselves with him. And Jesus says, I come to seek and to save what was lost. That is actually Jesus' dream. If we're talking about dreams today, Jesus' dream was that all would come to know him, that none shall perish. And he invites us into that dream in the Great Commission, where he says, you know, go and make disciples." It's actually us being invited into the dream of God to seek and to save the lost. And so I want to ask you, as part of Dream Sundays, who are you seeking to see saved? Who are you joining Jesus with? Who's that that person who's close to you but far from God? And, And not only that, who are you discipling? You know, we're called to make disciples. That discipleship happens right from when they're far away from Christ, right up until... Eternity, but yeah, who are we discipling? Because I think part of the dream that God has for our lives is that we are discipling others. That we're kingdom. So it's dream Sunday, and we did one of these in the last year. And We'll probably do a couple a year because I feel like we need to just keep dreaming. Often our dreams just die, and we need to be re reimagined them and reminded of them. But I just want to ask you in this moment, what are you dreaming for? And perhaps I would suggest that in this moment, we need to run to Jesus to capture that dream again. Can can we stand in this place? I love what Pastor Sam said, that we need to get out of control this year. Too often we try and keep our lives in control because it's safe and we can manage it. Zacchaeus wasn't really in control. <laughs> he was running. He was jumping up a tree. He was, he just, he lost, you know, his sense of decorum and, and pride and, you know, safety to be with Jesus. That, that's actually what God wants for us. He wants us to dream. He wants us to step out in faith. I've got a a dream that we will have 200 people in this church by the end of this year. That's a dream that I can't achieve. That's a dream that possibly, you know, like a a lot of us coming together to do it. But I would rather dream that dream and get halfway than not dream it at all. I'd rather set a target and go, oh, well, you know, at least we gave our all. Than set no target at all. And sometimes I think we just need to go "Ah." God, I'm, this is a crazy dream, but I'm going to go for it. Because even if I if I launch way out there and I only reach here, well, I, look, I've reached there. I've made it that far. So, what is it by faith that that Jesus wants you to do? I think we just need to overcome our fear of failure. I think if you if you talk to anyone who has really succeeded in life, they failed far far many times before they succeeded. And they learned from each failure. I think the biggest failure is a failure to launch. I think the biggest failure is to go, I'm not going to try because I might not make it. Well, yeah, you're right. You won't because you didn't try it at all. (laughs) You will never make it if you don't launch out. And so, you know, Jesus' ultimate dream was that all would know and he and he sowed that dream in his disciples, and he sows that dream in our lives now, too. It's a dream that's far, far bigger than him. Some cards here, and uh, they're going to go around. But these are uh, hopefully you got a pen. If you don't, um, you'll just have to write them down afterwards. But on that card, there's three things that you're dreaming for, and I, I just encourage you. We're going to take some time, just just in the service to. To listen to Jesus, to listen to God and go, okay, God, what do you what do you got for me this year? You might think 2021, where is this year going? <laughs> like, it's a crazy year already. Going in and out of lockdown in, in, in Auckland. And don't worry about the, you know, the overall state of the nation. That's not your concern in this. This is about, okay, God, what what in my area of influence, in my sphere, what do you want me to dream for? It might be your workplace. It might be your family. It might be your uh, your, your your neighborhood, your relationships. It might be your community. It might be the church. What are you dreaming for from God? And we're, we're just, just, musicians are going to play for a little bit. I just want you to listen to the still, small voice of God. And then write some things down or make a mental note and write them down later. Let's just take a moment. While he's still doing that, I just want to talk to those of you who haven't um, ever had a dream from God because you don't have a relationship with him. Just like Zacchaeus, you've actually come into a space where you can meet with him. Um, So well done for getting here into this space. You've kind of, you've, you've run ahead, you've climbed the tree, and now Jesus is calling out your name. And he's saying, come into relationship with me. I want to dwell in your house today. I want to dwell in your heart today. And that's God's invitation to you this morning. So with every eye closed and head bowed, if you're here and you're like, yeah, I need to run into the arms of God. He's calling my name. Then all you need to do is raise your hand. I'll see it. You can put it down and then we're going to pray together. Is there anybody here who think, yeah, I need to run into the arms of God? Jesus is calling my name this morning. Okay, I'm not seeing any hands. You can raise your eyes. I just want to say um, when it comes to this idea of getting hungry and getting in a space where it costs us something, a 7 a.m. prayer meeting on a Tuesday morning, it's going to be at um, St. John's Hall, so it's behind the church in Road. Um, there's a there's a room there just off the hall, a lovely space that we're going to meet 7 a.m. just for say 40 minutes or so because most people start work around eight, um, so there'd be time to pray and then you can head off to work. 7 a.m. We're not starting this week, but the following week, um, yeah. And I just encourage you because I I know that we're not going to see revival happen. We're going to see we were, I sing that great song God of Revival. That's not going to happen in our city unless we start to pray and we agree together for it. And I just want us to get into a space where we're like, yeah, we're believing for this. We're going to see lives changed. And so that's a great space to get into. Also, tomorrow night we're doing our monthly all-in prayer meeting 7.30 at my house um, with all the other churches from around the country. So that'd be great. Um, so yeah, there are opportunities. And Every Sunday morning, 9.15 to 9.45, we have a prayer meeting here. So there are are spaces that you can come into to pray, uh, encourage you. But right now what we're going to do is this isn't just Dream Sunday, it's also Anointing Sunday. So what we've got, um, some oil, understand what this is about. Um, Anointing is a bit of an Old Testament um, concept. Um, Basically, kings and priests were anointed for their roles. Um, in the New Testament, well, and throughout the Bible, anointing repre- uh, represents the Holy Spirit. The oil represents the Spirit of God. And if you're a Christian here today, you've, you've invited Jesus into your heart, then, then you have the Holy Spirit. So we're not like giving you the Holy Spirit, just to clarify that. But what we are doing is we're, we're setting you aside like those priests and those kings. We're saying, okay, we want to anoint you, to pray over you and set you aside for the role that you have in your world whether that be your work whether that be your family whether that be your your ministry to those, your neighbours whatever it is but we want we want to pray over you and believe that God's going to anoint you give his his full backing his full access to to all the weight of heaven to you this morning so so uh, uh, um, Maya Richie uh, I don't know Andrew or Elizabeth are going to come down and uh, and we're just going to take some time just come down and we will anoint you with oil and pray over you. And, and I encourage you. I, I reckon we should all, don't miss out. We should all do this because, as I said, we God responds to our response to Him. And so if we're hungry for Him, then you'll want to be anointed because you want to be filled with all. Because when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, it's not a one-time thing. It's an overflowing, and we need to continually be filled with Him because we need Him more and more every day, all right? So the, the musician is just going to play in the background, and I just encourage you, come on down. We want to pray over you and anoint you with oil. That would be awesome.